Welcome to the Jason Wojo Podcast, eight-figure advertiser, marketer, speaker, and mentor who has scaled 50-plus brands to seven and eight figures. Jason went from culinary school dropout to millionaire by the age of 24 and has been featured in major news outlets such as Entrepreneur Magazine, New York Weekly's 30 Under 30, IMDb, NBC, ABC, Fox, and many more. After spending over $10 million on paid ads across various channels and generating his clients and himself over $50 million online, this podcast serves as a beacon to all listeners as a way to educate and give business owners around the world tactical ways to scale their business and make more money. Jason has also built the biggest personal brand online for paid advertising with over 1.1 million followers and has an entire content team posting on Instagram nine to 10 times every single day. Make sure you tune in every Monday and Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern for new episodes and subscribe below and give a five-star review if you like today's episode or a previous one. With that said, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the Jason Mojo Podcast. I'm here with Daniel G. Uh, he is labeled the world's number one sales trainer 2021, founder of the World Class Sales Agency. Um, he's been responsible for $110 million plus in sales. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on here, man. I'm excited to ask you a couple of questions um, that a lot of my clients ask in the whole sales niche. Uh, but first, I want to kind of just get into your story, how you founded your agency, um, and just you know, kind of like a quick wrap up of your you know, story. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate this doing it under short notice. But uh, I mean, listen, I've been in sales ever since I was young. I've been in sales since I was, you know, 13, 14, knocking on doors. Um, it's always just paid me the most. Um, I just always knew it was a garbage in, garbage out. I knew since I was young, there was a flaw in people's messaging. Like when I was young and people told me I couldn't, you know, do well if I didn't go to school because I wasn't the kid that had the attention to go to school. My mind was always elsewhere. I was always creating so many businesses. I was a freaking magician, a, a music producer. I wanted to play soccer. And when I did a door to door sales job when I was 14, 15, and I made, you know, over $800 on knocking on doors in one weekend, I realized, okay, wait, there's a little mess up in people's messaging because if I'm 14 years old and I can make over $800 on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, imagine I duplicated that to five, six days a week now making more money than my teachers make at school. So, um, I did door-to-door -door sales since I was young. I got into university for about a year and a half, wasn't serving me, got back into sales. I just chased what I was curious about because I always say curiosity will propel you towards something more. You don't have to chase what you're passionate about. So I was just curious about sales and I got back into sales, applied to hundreds of sales jobs, landed one great sales job, which was in B2B sales, leveraged that sales job uh, to get into a medical device sales job, worked a territory for a few years, and then uh, I started training my own sales systems to high schools, universities, colleges within Canada. Um, then I started opening up sales programs. When I left my sales job, I became a full-blown sales trainer. And then from there, I realized that there was a need in the marketplace for individuals like myself that had programs online, but didn't want to sell their own programs and want to stay a little bit exclusive or use their time elsewhere and scale their time. So when I was backstage speaking on these stages with amazing thought leaders and coaches, 
um, the conversation just came natural saying, Hey, do you need a closer? Cause a lot of people are coming from my sales university and boom, one, one closer turned into two, two turned into four, four turned into 10. And now we got two full-time offices here in Canada. So we train and we outsource sales individuals to thought leaders, coaches, and consultants that you probably work with. Um, majority 80% of my organization is in-house. So we have two offices down here in Canada that houses a lot of our salespeople. So we could train them every single day. And then we have, let's say another 15 to 20% virtually. So that's a whole concept of the sales agency. Dude, that's insane. So yeah, the biggest thing too, when, when you're talking about the coaching consultants, like the biggest objection I always get is like, we can't like, they can't close the leads, but we're getting them all this traffic and they have such a hard time taking a lead from like, obviously curious and then nourish them into being an actual buyer. So what do you think the biggest disconnect is for these businesses? And, and, and it doesn't just have to be appointment setting or building rapport, but there's something that's broken in the sales process that's killing these businesses massively as to why, you know, they can acquire all these leads, but not close. Yeah. I mean, first, you know, it always like marketing sales always works closely. So if you're talking about, you know, coaches, number one, could they be a customer? Number two, would they be a customer? Number three, should they be a customer? And every manager has to look at this or every leader or every owner or founder or salesperson has to look at this. Number one, could they? Meaning, do they have, you know, the necessary budget? So that might come from qualifying on lead sheets. Could they be a customer? Hey, this may come from a sales conversation. Hey, by the way, if everything you liked, you, you see, you like today, and we actually could, you know, provide you everything you need and a little bit more, do you have the ability to even invest $5,000? Well, no, not right. So they can't be a customer. They could, they could not be a customer. They are not qualified. The other thing is, would they be a customer? Now this comes down to the ability of a sales rep to say, Hey, listen, did the sales rep in the beginning stage of a conversation add enough, you know, urgency from the beginning stage, not towards the ending stage. Cause this is the disconnect from, from a lot of salespeople. They try to get urgent and try to push towards the end of a sales call. And urgency is built from the beginning stage of a sales call. So how do you frame? So how do you frame that better? Because a lot of people use urgency, but they're like, you could kind of sniff the bullshit. No, it it happens usually. So in an amateur rep, urgency uh, comes off as pressure towards end of sales calls because they're like, well, like, why wouldn't you get started today? Today we have a great deal going on. Hey, listen, we want to accept the next five people, and people start using that towards the end of a conversation. But posture to have urgency in the beginning means this. Hey, uh, Jason, by the way, man, how's your day going today? Hey, my day's going amazing. By the way, report doesn't mean finding points of commonality because every single sales trainer is like find points of commonality and that is report. No, it doesn't. Report means this. It's a subconscious thought of saying, hey, there's something about this Jason guy. I just like something about this Jason guy. And typically people like people that can lead themselves that are booked and busy and they like that. So it doesn't, it's a process of responsiveness, number one meaning how responsive is the individual to you. It doesn't mean because you're talking about your cat, I'm going to talk about my cat. That is not report. That means, hey, if you start talking about your dog and Daniel starts talking about his dog and you get me talking about my dog and I'm the sales rep, now I might be telling you how Pepper does better tricks than you. And now that's one upping my client. That doesn't mean I'm in a process of responsiveness with you. That doesn't mean we're in report. Report means, hey, there's something about this Daniel guy that I just like about this individual. So it doesn't mean, hey, we got to find points of commonality. So in the beginning stage, you could say, hey, hey, Jason, by the way, how you doing today? Man, Dan, I'm doing amazing. You know, I'm just, you know, things are going well. How you doing today, Dan? 
hey, listen, my day's amazing. You know, we're crazy busy right now at the office. It's just a time in the month where everybody's learning to start an online business and they're coming to our office with a little bit of help. My day has been back to back, crazy booked and busy. Uh, but I'm not going to complain, man. You know, this is everything I've ever wished for in my business. Um, because people want to know how they can increase their business results by 35%. However, I don't want to get in my head of myself, man. Give me the short story. I know the, I know, sorry, give me the long story. I know the short story about what it is that you do. I've been looking at the application, but give me the long story. So in the beginning stage, I'm already trying to say, hey, listen, the office is crazy. The reason why the office is crazy because of X, Y, and Z, right? Because businesses want to increase their X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to give them maybe a, probably a little exit plan. Hey, listen, by the way, I don't even know if we even be the right fit to work with you or you'd be the right fit to work with us. Um, I'm just going to show you a couple different reasons. If I do feel like you're the right fit, I'm going to show you a couple quick reasons as to why people decide to onboard with us over the last six to 12 months. Then you can make the informed and educated decision whether or not this is the right, bit, uh, right business plan for you. Just let me know towards the end of the conversation. And by the way, telling me no is completely fine. I just want to let you know that. And, yeah. and most people do never hear no on a sales call because you don't give them the opportunity to say no. Yeah. You don't give them an exit plan that in the beginning stage of a conversation, it should be open and exit meaning, Hey, this is exactly what we do. This is why we do it. This is why people sign up. But by the way, you do not have to say no to me. So when you make a client feel claustrophobic, meaning like, Hey, you got to do this today. And they feel like they have to buy today. They feel like they have to buy today and they have to say yes today. And they feel awkward telling you no, cause you haven't given them permission to tell, you no. that's where somebody goes to you. And they either tell you everything, but no, they either say, uh, send me over some information. I needed to speak to my yeah. spouse. I don't make decisions on the spot because they, they don't want to, or they say, yeah, follow up and poof. That's when they ghost you because you made them feel claustrophobic in the conversation. So in the beginning stage of the conversation, I know we have some salespeople, marketers and founders listening to this call. Make sure you tell your prospect, hey, it is completely fine to tell me that you don't feel like this is the right fit for you. Cause I just want to let you know permission, give them permission to say no. Cause I just want to let you know, not everybody is the right fit for us and we're not the right fit for everybody. Give them the exit strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you frame it. Cause I do this in the beginning too. I basically will allude to building the rapport, but alluding to the end result. So like you talk about the 35%, you're framing what the prospect wants, you know, while building rapport. So you're kind of like, like inserted a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I love that. Yeah. So yeah. One of the biggest questions I want to ask you, cause I get this with, and I know you build a lot of sales systems. How do you increase show rates? Like what are you doing right now? Cause this is like the biggest question I get downright. Um, so what are you doing right now to increase show rates as far as appointment reminders, or if there's you know appointment setters that you're using inside the sales process? Yeah. So let's just say, Okay. First of all, you know, to me, if, if you're an appointment setter, if you're doing it, you know, virtually over the computer or you're doing it by the phone, um, you know, first, the reason why people ghost is for two reasons. Number one, the, the interest wasn't there. Well, the interest wasn't there from the beginning, meaning their high level of interest wasn't there. So you booked a meeting without high, like with high level of interest or high level of influence. People don't ghost people that have, you know, tight influence with each other. So I may ghost you if we're friends, I may ghost you for three days, but I'm not going to ghost you for a week. I'm not going to ghost you for two weeks because we have a relationship or we have some sort of bond or report with each other. So 
this is important because most people get ghosted because they don't have reports. So if you're like, well, I got ghosted after an appointment. Well, that means you didn't build a strong enough relationship. And it's not always what you say when you get ghosted. It's what you don't do on the next sit. It's what you don't do on the next. Maybe you already got ghosted. Maybe it's over. So, so to me, it's number one, let me look at the high level of interest. What does the interest means? Obviously you book a meeting. You're like, okay, John, let's meet tomorrow at 3 PM Eastern. You do it by email or there's a schedule. However you guys book your appointments, whether your prospect or lead comes in. So you book the appointment number one. So the appointment is booked between now 3 PM on Monday and 4 PM. Let's say the appointment is booked on Friday. You're thinking about that appointment. They got life in between. The last thing they're thinking about is buying your product. Sorry, salespeople. Like, I know you guys are like, oh, well, yeah, I can't. They're not thinking about your product. Maybe five, 10% are like, I can't wait to get on a phone call with Jason and Daniel to half of them or not. And especially if it's booked for so long, so far out, they're probably still trying to gauge. So what does that mean? In the meantime of the point that you booked the meeting to Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern, what am I doing in between that? Whether that's follow-up or securing, securing the appointment, number one, Hey, by the way, is there anything in between this appointment on Friday? It's Wednesday right now. Is there anything? Cause nobody does a follow-up reschedule. So every, Hey, by the way, our appointments on Friday, is there anything else that would happen between now and Friday as to why you wouldn't show up? One, two, when you're locking in an appointment, I would always lock an appointment over the phone. And I would always say, Hey, John, our appointments tomorrow at 3 PM Eastern. Uh, Hey, listen, can I count on you showing up? And I always do that over a phone call. Or I always do it. I always do it whether, because everybody likes to be counted on. Nobody likes to be counted out in life. So it's always like, it's always like, Hey, you're a man of your word, right? Jason. Yes, I am. Okay. Amazing. dude. Can I count on you showing up? Yes. Because now I put it on you. Hey, you're a man of your word. You know, you obviously do what you say you're going to do 150%. Yes. Okay, cool. If, and if people are listening right now and be like, Oh, I wouldn't say that. Well, then you don't take your business serious enough. Like if you're not doing this, maybe you don't take the business serious. Hey, you're a man of your word. What you say is what you do. Yes. Amazing, dude. I can't wait to do it. Hey, listen, tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern, can I count on you showing up? Yes. Is there anything, right, other than like a crazy hurricane happening or something as to why you wouldn't show up on the phone call? Is there anything else just so I better understand myself? Yes. Okay, awesome. No, Daniel, I'm going to show up 3 p.m. Eastern. Boom. That call's done. I'm sending out a text reminder. I'll probably do another phone call uh, towards the end of the night, but I know no matter what call, I have the next day, you're getting a text in the nighttime and you're getting a text in the morning from all my sales guys or the call's not happening. And just take it in from dental offices and doctor offices. I get a PCR test done right now because I have to travel to Italy tomorrow. And dude, these people called me already twice. Yeah. You know, they called me already twice to, to, to I'm, yes, I'm coming. They called me this morning. Hey, yes, I'm coming. Um, so the level of follow-up and the level of value that you give um, and make it interesting enough. Cause I said influence and interesting enough. So what do you mean by interesting enough on Wednesday? If the appointments on Friday, how am I keeping Jason engaged to show up to the appointment on Friday? Hey, Jason, by the way, um, I want to, I just noticed in my files, because you said you're a social media marketer, we help somebody increase their business by 34%. That is in the exact same industry. And I just scrolled by it on my files last night. So I just thought about you. So in the first five minutes of our conversation tomorrow, I want to bring it up that way. You could see exactly what we've done with. Now I got them interested. I want to show you where they lacked and what we actually done with them. That way you can make the informed and educated decision. But I'm excited just to run you by this information. I think you're going to find it super valuable. So now I got to keep it interesting. Like you got to keep, it's like, it's like follow up again. It's like you have an influence, but you got to keep it interesting. If I'm on a date and it's Friday and I want to go out with this girl next Friday, 
and, and, and she's leaving the car. And between this Friday and next Friday, we got something called life and time. And in that point of me saying bye to you and me wanting to go out with you next Friday, there may be three other guys that's like, hey, what are you doing next Friday? That make it a lot more interesting than me. So I can't be like, hey, so let, let, let's go out next Friday at 730. Yeah, okay, perfect. Now, in the meantime, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's Jason, Eric, Matt, Jonathan, Thomas, all following up with her to try to get a date. This is life. This is business. This is going to happen. So, so now I got to think to myself, okay, before she leaves the car, what am I going to do? Number one, to lock in the time, not we should go out next week. Cause that's being, Hey, next week, what are you doing Friday? Clear the schedule. Uh, nothing much. Okay, perfect. What are you doing next week? Friday at seven 30. I don't know. Clear the schedule seven 30. Okay. Hey, listen, next week at seven 30, my, my, my friend owns a winery down in Niagara. And since you loved wine, I seen that you freaking loved wine. You're a wine advocate or whatever the case is. I'm going to take you there 7.30 on Friday. I'm going to do this whole thing. We got the whole tour booked out. It's going to be freaking amazing. 7.30, I'm going to show up at your house. Can I count on you? We're going to do it. Yes, amazing. Now it's going to be interesting enough. And you got to listen. Listen what I just did on the podcast right now. I listened. I watched for cues. I looked at the application form. I realized that they did this. So on the follow-up, I had to make it interesting enough. People just run through their sales business on autopilot. Just like I said on the date, I realized that she was drinking freaking wine. So when she was leaving, I said, hey, let me be empathetic. Let me watch and observe, number one. Okay, I see that she's drinking wine. On Friday, I'm going to say, hey, there's a wine appointment. I got a wine, uh, winery thing booked on Friday because I listen. But most salespeople don't watch. They don't listen. They treat every call the same. I know we went off on a whole tangent there, but it's oh, important. Dude, I love that. That was awesome. Well, you're looking like a, like a little quick thing to add to that is we've implemented this one thing that like not a lot of people do. So like I have four sales reps right now and our show rates were like 55 to 65%, which are not the greatest, but we were able to get them higher because I actually run a really small ad on Instagram. It's a story ad. And I'm basically only retargeting people who have booked a call and I'm spending like 25 to 50 bucks a day. And I basically just let this thing run where it's like, Hey, like it's Jason. I, I, you know, I thank you for booking your call. I wanted to open this up for me and you to have a discussion. Give me any questions you have right now about ads that you're unsure about before you hop on the phone with us. And then like basically through my DM, my DM closer can then build rapport with them as well. Mm-hmm. And then I have my assistant who will then send a text to like the night before. Um, and that's stuff that we've been implementing as well. So it's a good thing that you brought up. Um, because yeah, and that's, that's actually it's, 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 so, so what you just said is super important from a warm perspective or a cold perspective, what you just did. Okay. This is what happens with appointment setting. Sure. Everything's great. When you're in the DM, say you're just cold prospecting somebody in the DM and you reach out to somebody and you're, or, or they reach out to you or they express a little bit of engagement and you're like, Hey, awesome. You know, I don't even know if we'd be the right fit for you right now, but let's book in a time tomorrow at 3 PM Eastern, just to see if you'd be the right fit for us. And we'd be the right fit for you. Um, send off the message is tomorrow at 3 PM Eastern. Great. Send that off. But right before that, right under that, right when you send that message off, again, like you have to eliminate the, 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 the insecurities and objections right when you set that off, because then they're going to come back and they're asking you questions in the DM. And now the appointment setting becomes way too long. And you start talking about your service and your product when all you should be doing is selling the meeting. So it's like, hey, John, by the way, I know we have a meeting tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. I know you probably have a couple quick questions about how the payment works, the product or the partnership system. Make sure you write them down right now or you email me to them to this email right here. That way, tomorrow in the first five minutes of the phone call, we get rid of them. That way you're not wasting your time and I'm not wasting my time. Sounds good. Question mark. Send it off. So now I'm eliminating the objections before they even ask, 
over the DM because I know they're going to ask product payment. How does the partnership work? How do I ROI on this? So I'm, I'm closing the room for you to give me an objection, even because even appointment setters, when they start, when people start booking meetings, when people start asking you questions, then you start to realize you get pushed back in a corner and you start selling your product and you should never sell your product over an appointment setting. You should always be selling the meeting. So you got to kind of close that room for objection and make sure you get back into the meeting. So I like that you did that. That's cool. But yeah. you did it from a marketing perspective, which yeah. is super cool. The other thing that I do as well is like um, the questions that we get through DM and also on the phone, like every week we go through a Google doc and all the FAQs, I literally just stock the thank you page with all the FAQs. So on some of the appointment reminders, I'm like, Hey, like we get a lot of questions. We've worked with X amount of business owners and I made this whole entire sheet for you before our call. So you can get all of your, you know, all of our top questions answered that we know are inside your head. And then they click that and then they can view that. And also I'm retargeting right. add two to people who visit that page. Mm. So like not just the thank you page, but the FAQ page as well. Um, right, right, that's right, right, right. wonders too. Plus you, I do the IG story ad because when they swipe up or they click, they see like how much content I post the followers, they see all that. And they're like, Oh shit. Like you're building more rapport too, without right. even like doing anything. Smart, smart, smart. Um, so that's been really effective. So the next piece that I wanted to get to is like the pricing. So a lot of people always will ask me like, Hey, you know, like, should I charge this amount? You know, um, how should I be delivering this to other people in my nature charging less? So as far as charging more, what kind of, I guess you could say like, not just like rapport, because we already talked about that, but like the value proposition and how you're able to sell something at a higher ticket price and not feel guilty about charging more than, than your, than your competition. Well, I mean, there's so many, like, there's so many different products and services that we're talking about. I think the first thing that people have to look at is, you know, as, as a salesperson or even as customer, when you look at pricing, there's a big difference between you know, price and cost. And I always tell customers this, like price is what you pay in the beginning. Cost is what you pay in the end. So when customers, like when you're trying to like in your own head, fight that battle of saying, well, somebody else is charging 2000. Well, number one, are you giving more and are you doing more and you have better quality service? That's the first question you have to ask yourself. And you, you know, you can answer that if it's a yes or a no, I could look at somebody's program and be like, yeah, I offer 10 times more than this individual. My, my price should be this. It should be 5,000, not 2,000 for my program because of X, Y, and Z. And it's going to elicit these results. Now, if a customer comes in and it, I'm the customer and Jason's selling me a marketing program and I'm like, yeah, but you know, dude, I, I, I can get somewhere cheaper for 2,000. Why are you charging me 10,000? That's well, where I would, yeah, that's where I would then deflect and be like, well, if you know so much about the other product, then why didn't you say yes to that? And then you right. kind of make them like sell themselves out of the objection because maybe they don't know all the deliverables. Well, it's almost, wait, pause. I'm going to get a little bit different than you. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I would also say is that comes from a defensive standpoint. There's two ways of handling objections. That's very defensive. And I always say this, if your end result in sales is to sell somebody, you can never make yourself seem better than that individual. Let me say it again. This is super important for people. We as salespeople, founders, marketers, entrepreneurs, we typically know 10 times more than the customer about our system that they know about our system. However, we're quick to defend and jump and say, well, hey, listen, well, if XYZ was like this, why would we be like this? When you make somebody feel less than you in a sales conversation or make a prospect feel dumb, that person's never going to buy from you. Like if you're like, well, if, if we were this, then how would people buy from us? Obviously it makes sense. And then you make the person be like, oh uh, yeah, that kind of does make sense. But that was kind of like 
a dick move. I'm never going to buy from you if I feel like you're better than me. This is super important. So why I mean this is you got to think, hey, is my position in the sales conversation to show that I am better or is it to better them? And if it's to better them, I got to stop, pause and ask questions and say, hey, listen, uh, I know you have a concern about a price or I know you have a concern about how our system or how our payment structure works. Let me ask you a question. Number one, why do you feel like that? I'm going to level off the objection. Hey, number two, is your concern more about the price or is it more uh, concerned about the cost? I'm not going to get into defensive mode right away because if it's about the, 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 the price, then obviously we are not the cheapest price in the marketplace. But if it's about the cost, right, we are a lot more cheaper than our competitors. And now I'm going to pause. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a difference between price and cost. Price is what you pay in the beginning stages, which is $5,000. Cost is what you pay in the end. You can get somebody that's a cheaper price, but it's going to cost more in the end because you might not get the results that you want to get. But if you get somebody at a higher price in the beginning, it's going to be cheaper. And then the cost in the end is going to be more. If you buy a used BMW for 30,000, okay, the price in the beginning is 30,000. Yes, the brand new one is 55,000, but the cost in the end of the BMW comes out to 70, 80,000 because now you got to put repairs over two years. Then you got to change the spark plug. Then you got to change the transmission. Then you got to change the, the electrical monitor. And then you want to sell the car and you get less for the car because now it's 15,000. And then you're 60, $70,000 in the hole when you could have just bought the brand new BMW for the initial price of $60,000. So if you're looking for the cheaper price, then maybe we're not it. But if you're looking to save money and get results in the long run, then maybe we're that company. Are you looking for the cheapest price or are you looking for the best results, Mr. Customer? So now I'm going to be like, hey, what are you looking for? Because if you're looking for, for the cheapest price, we are definitely not them. And that's okay. And I think salespeople have to own that because that's you're owning the field of saying, hey, listen, if you're looking for the cheapest price, we are not them, number one. Okay? And if you're looking for the, and even when people try to nitpick companies, and if you're looking for the picture perfect company or picture perfect solution for your business, we are not that either. This comes from the difficult buyer and salespeople have a hard time selling this because what you're not selling is the best, what you're selling is better. So if you get Nancy, the engineer that is trying to pick apart your, your, your opportunity or your business or your system, and she's like, what about this? And what about that? You got to think to yourself as a salesperson, I do not sell the most picture perfect solution, but do they want the most picture perfect solution or do they want better than their just current situation? So I have to come out as a salesperson and say, hey, Nancy, listen, if you are looking for the most perfect situation, the most perfect system and the most perfect company, I can assure you that is not us and we are not perfect by any means. But you told me in this conversation that all you want is better than what you have right now, right? Are you looking for picture perfect or are you looking for better than what you currently have? Because if you're, if you're trying to get better, yes, we can help you for that. But if you're trying to get perfect, we are not perfect by any means. And, and I think, I think salespeople don't have to beat around the bush or bullshit. I hope salespeople are taking notes right now. Um, people like customers love a sense of transparency and honesty in the beginning. Cause that's the sub that's what report is report. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. This is going to get super good report is not saying you like this dog and I like this dog. You like this cat. And I like this cat report is at a subconscious level saying, ha, there's something that I fucking like about this guy that I trust about this guy. There's something about this guy that I just trust. And there's something about this guy that I like. And the only reason why people don't buy your program, product, offer, or service is not because of the price. Not, it's because they don't trust you. It's because when they say they want to make $3,000 a month, you're like, yeah, perfect. So let me show you how we can make three. No, I don't trust you. Hey, you want to make $3,000 a month? Awesome, Jason. Hey, by the way, how much are you willing to work per month? Oh, you know, I could put an extra 10 hours a month in my business. Well, you're not going to make the 3000 
you either have to do two things. You have to either lower the goal or up the work ethic. Which one can you do? Uh, maybe I can up to, ah, now the prospect's like, fuck, you know what? I trust this guy. He's not giving it to me easy. He's not, that's what report is. Report is saying, hey, there's something about this individual where I could see transparency through this individual and they're not selling me easy. They're, maybe it's simple, but it's not easy. And in that brain frequency, and this is why maybe a lot more entrepreneurs and founders do better than the salespeople because the entrepreneur and founder gives it to them real. And it's like, hey, listen, we can't provide that. And salespeople are trying to rush it. So the, 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 the prospect is like, fuck, I trust the founder because he's given me the, the true, like what's actually going to happen. And that's what's selling them. People are scared to give the hard sales pitch and ask the hard sales questions, but that's what sells the customer. Hey, sorry, we can't do that. We can definitely not do that. I think it's unrealistic what you want. Um, and I'm not going to give you easy inside of the, that right there might be the sale. Some people think it's a close, but what I just said right there might be the sale. Cause something in that person's head's like, you know what? Something about this individual. I never heard that in another sales conversation. I trust this guy. When they trust you, they open up about their problems. When they open up about their problems, you can find the right solution. When you find the right solution, then the close is easy. Yeah. Now, I don't know how you like this approach. This will be like the last um, scenario, but what we like to do is since we do a lot of advertising, we like to go over the numbers first. And that's kind of the way that we're able to like make decisions that are calculated instead of emotional with the prospect. Go over the numbers of the program right away. Or like, you know, how much they're currently spending, you know, how much they're making. We're like, hey, like if you are booking seven appointments a day, well, if we increase the traffic by this amount and use these kind of adverts, then we could probably book you 20 appointments a day. How much more money would that make you? And we kind of do the numbers versus the cost just by simply giving them the numbers because numbers don't lie. And that's the kind of approach that we take. Yeah. So do you think that's too like uh, analytical and not so much like personal? Or is that what you really think the business owners want at the end of the day? No, I think, I think as long as you understand that sales' game is, you know, what do you do? Why do you do it? Why haven't you got more of, and would you like my help? And if that, that could be framed in a one minute conversation, if you're trying to get logical right away with the facts. So what I mean by that is this, okay, what do you do? Blah, blah. Okay. What are you getting right now? Well, I'm getting seven appointments a day. Well, on the application, it says you want 15. Why the heck haven't you got to 15 yet? Yeah. And if you, as long as you can have the empathy to saying, Hey, what do you do? What are you getting right now out of your business or life? What do you want more of? Okay, you want more of this. Well, why haven't you done it yet? And you have to ask that question because you got to have the gap to be like, okay, would you like my help with that? Well, Daniel, I haven't done it because of this, that, and this, and that, and that. Okay, awesome. Would you like my help? Before anybody presents numbers, stats, facts, and documents, you got to let a customer lean on you or you lost your posture. So what that means is like, hey, this is what I do. Okay, this is how much you want more of. Okay, nice. You want $1,000 extra a month. You want $10,000 extra a month. Well, why haven't you got there yet? Because you're that gap and you're that solution and you need them to lean on you right before you start presenting. Yeah. Well, honestly, we haven't got there because you know we don't really know how to set up retargeting ads. We don't feel like our, 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 our pixels set up correctly, whatever they have to say. I don't know how to get there. We don't have the right solution place. Okay, awesome. If I could show you potentially where we can help you, would you like my, would you like my help? And would you like to see how we do that with other individuals? Let them lean on you before you jump and present. I think that's just the biggest statement. So as long as you get empathetic of saying where you are, where would you like to be? And why haven't you got there yet? Then you could just say, would you like my help? That's the structure of a sales conversation, right? So it's always like that conversation could be five minutes or 10 minutes. What do you do? What do you want more of? Why haven't you got it? Would you like my help? And then let them lean on you before you present. All right. That was, that was dope. And the last question I have for you. 
was what are the three biggest things that you instill in your team for every single sales call? Three biggest things. Number one is, again, a sense of urgency from the beginning. Doesn't matter if it's day one or day 50 in the business or year five. If they're not, you know, high energy and high, like the urgency isn't there from the beginning. And again, that is not a thing where it's like, you know, they got it. That doesn't mean apply pressure, whatever the case is. Urgency is by asking the right questions and it's by the posture that you have in the beginning stage. There's a big difference between pressure and urgency. If if anybody on your podcast heard me speak before, pressure means this. It's a conflict of internal values. It means you have to do this. If not, this is what's going to happen. That's pressure. Urgency means, hey, it's totally fine not to do business with us. By the way, you obviously have plan B. What's plan B to get you to $3,000 a month? That's an urgency question. You ask questions to generate a self-urgency, let them answer their own questions. So, what are your questions like on a phone call? Are they very pressuring questions or do you ask questions that allows the customer to think of the response? Number one. Number two is don't assume, you know, the position of a prospect before asking because you just can't add value. Every prospect is different. So if you listen, because number two on the call is empathy. So urgency and empathy. So if you listen, customers tell you how to sell them. They literally tell you how to sell them. Hey, this is my problems. This is what I want more of. This is what I care about. But if you pass by the hot buttons, you're selling on autopilot. And I know everybody does this. Doesn't matter like from an application, like, like people just don't give a shit enough. You could go back to somebody's Instagram profile and say, hey, dude, I noticed on your last reel, I got 3,400 plays. Have you been like, have you had that right there is a sense of, hey, I had a little bit of empathy. I went the habit of going the extra mile. I took time to reach, but salespeople don't care. Hey, by the way, in this conversation, five minutes ago, you told me it doesn't have to be scripted. Five minutes ago, you told me X, Y, Z about a pixel. I want to revisit that for a second. That shows that you're listening. It shows that you have empathy. That's attractive to, to a customer and not being so structured and saying, hey, and redirecting the conversation and taking control is fine. And, and, and the finding the hot button in every single conversation so you can add value or go back to it will change the sales game. Like if I want to go buy a house right now and there's a real estate agent selling me a home and, and all I tell them, I'm like, hey, dude, what's important is when I buy my home, I want an imperial staircase. So when I buy my home, I need to make sure there's two stairs going up, the imperial staircase. That's what I care about. But he's showing me homes, big, beautiful home, 5,000, 10,000 square feet, pool in the backyard, no train tracks. It's beautiful, but there's no imperial staircase. It does. It's, there's no, the hot button isn't there for me. Now, if he finds the imperial staircase, but I have so many other objections about the house, ah, but there's train tracks. The pool's a little bit small. The kitchen, the marble. I don't like the kitchen. Hey, but Dan, remember that imperial staircase that was important for you? Come here, take a look at the imperial. He can always go back to my hot button because he listened. And I'm not going to neglect because you now find what's on that client's core values of what's important to them when they're buying. It can almost deflect all the other objections because you really asked and cared about what was important to that individual. And you can always go back to that. And I think great salespeople always go back to the hot button and to figure out why that individual was on a call in the first place and what they, what they want best of. Hey, if you were to buy a home, if you were to buy a program, what are a few things that we can really focus on that you would love? Obviously, there's 20 things, but what's super important to you? What's important in your business criteria when you're looking to partner up with an individual? What's important in your business criteria when you look to bring a marketer on board? Is legwork important? What do you mean? Well, do you, do you want to do work or would you like to be hands-off? Is that important to you? Or do you not care? Do you, is that not important to you? Do you care about pricing? Is that important to you? Do you care about how much intimacy you're getting with a coach? Is that important to you? Like what's super important to you when you're working with somebody? And to really listen to that, to 
use that as a hot button to frame it. And I think the last thing is third thing on a sales calls with my guys is I always have discipline and discipline means this. You can have willpower to reach out. You can have empathy and you can give a shit. But if you don't have the discipline to listen and follow up with that person, when they say, send me over this information and to take a little bit of time, send over the research and send over information and follow up three to five times before you close a deal, everything else is useless. So I think this is where people lose in the business is the discipline aspect. Cause they're like, Oh, well it's over. Well, you know, this as a marketer, people got to be touched at least eight to 10 times by an ad to even buy. And it's the same thing in sales. Sometimes you got to follow up three to five times before that person buys. And you have the discipline to hear no once and keep going five to 10 times. Cause that's all the best salespeople. Yeah. Right. No, dude, that's so true. Um, dude, man, I really appreciate you coming on. This was dope. Um, I'm going to send this to my sales team too. So 100%, they, they, do it. Dude, they knew you were coming on and they were like, Oh my God, I want to join. And I'm like, I don't want five people in here. Um, yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, just keep it you. But, uh, dude, I appreciate it a lot. Um, I know you're going on tour. You're actually on tour right now. Yes. Um, what are like the next three locations? So we're, so I'm doing Italy tomorrow. I fly into Italy tomorrow. So I'm doing Italy September 3rd, 4th and 5th. And then I fly into the States because you can't fly in from Italy to the States. You need to take a two week break because they're on like a no traveler. So I do, I do, uh, this podcast might come out after, but, um, I do LA September 21st, a bunch of the West coast from the 21st to the 25th. And then, you know, I do Miami on the 25th or 26th. I do Houston. I do Boston. I do New York city on the 30th. So all the big cities in the States from the 21st to the 30th we're in. So if anybody wants, and you're listening, um, just hit the link in my bio and, and yes, buy a freaking ticket. Cause I make them cheap for everybody. They're 15 bucks. I don't need to sell you a program, a course, a program offer service, 15 bucks. And I train for four hours, 15, 20 bucks. And I train for four hours. So if you guys are in any of those cities, come rock it out with me. Okay. Yeah. That's dope. All right, man. I appreciate you hopping on. Thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate you, brother. And appreciate you, man.